Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts. Can you please help support this vital ministry? Discerning Hearts is a 100% listener-supported Catholic apostolate. Now through the end of August, please prayerfully consider making a sacrificial gift to help us raise $30,000 to fund truly life-changing Catholic programming and prayer. The financial contributions of listeners like you enables us to continue this important ministry. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Your donations are fully tax-deductible. Again, between now and the end of August, please visit discerninghearts.com to make your donation. Thank you, and God bless you from all of us at Discerning Hearts. Discerninghearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to be joined once again by Dr. Peter Craved who is a professor of philosophy at Boston College, and he's one of the most respected Christian authors of our time. His many best-selling books cover a vast array of topics in spirituality, theology, and philosophy. They include How to Be Holy, Practical Theology, Back to Virtue, Because God is Real, You Can Understand the Bible, Angels and Demons, Heaven, The Heart's Deepest Longing, and so many more. With Dr. Peter Kraft, we go inside the pages of I Burned for Your Peace, Augustine's Confessions Unpacked, published by Ignatius Press. Dr. Crave, thank you so much for joining me. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me here. This particular book, I think, is so wonderful because for so many, St. Augustine, he sometimes stymies us, doesn't he? Well, one of the reasons people get stymied by the confessions is the same reason I got stymied in college when I had to read it. It was the wrong translation. Mm. I can't remember any book, the translation of which made more of a difference than the confessions. Frank Sheets' translation makes it sing. It's, it's beautiful and it's clear. The other translations are often dull and abstract. Well, you've said that we've never met a man like Augustine. Uh, how so? Well, he is passionate and brilliant at the same time. The head and the heart are both functioning uh, deeply. And usually that's a contrast. People that are very passionate and emotional usually don't think clearly, and clear thinkers are usually pretty cool. Uh, in the Middle Ages, all the statues of Augustine had a Bible open in one hand and a heart burning with fire in the other hand. That's perfect. That is perfect. His ability to be able to affect generations, hasn't he, for almost, what, 1,700 years? Yeah, he transcends the generations. There's nothing like uh, the Confessions. It's, a, uh, in one sense, a very modern book. It's very personal. It's very existential. Uh, he reveals the depth of his heart and his life. In another sense, it's a, a typically medieval book. It's, it's deeply theological and and full of faith and hope and charity. He even says, as you point out in the book, that many people are not going to get this because they do not have their ear on his heart. That imagery of the heart, I had someone say to me once, what well, doesn't, that's so feminine, Chris, that that's not, men can't relate to that. What would you say to that, Dr. Craig? Well, that's simply not true. Uh, that's like saying uh, uh, women don't have ears or men don't have feet. Mm. Everybody's got a heart. And in Scripture, a heart is not simply feeling. Uh, a heart is the deepest thing in the soul that's the source of feeling and the source of thought and the source of willing. 
it's the it's the subject, uh, the eye that that does all these things. It is to the to the soul what the blood pump is to the body. It's an incredible piece of literature too. It is held up as one of the great works. Nothing it, like it. Uh, one of his first sentences is the most frequently quoted sentence written by any Christian in the history of the world outside the Bible, where Augustine says to God, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they rest in you, which is the theme of the whole book. It begins with, in the Confessions, it begins with praise, and it ends with praise. Yeah, because it's a prayer. It's addressed to God. It's like the speeches of Job rather than the speeches of Job's three friends. Three friends are theologically correct, but they're boring. And Job is wild and crazy and makes many mistakes, but he's interesting because he's in lived dialogue with God. Well, so is Augustine. That accounts for its burning honesty. You can't be dishonest when you're looking in the face of eternal light. We're talking with Dr. Peter Kraft about his book, I Burned for Your Peace, Augustine's Confessions Unpacked. And as you go through the book, I mean, I, I think you really help us as a guide through this work because what St. Augustine is doing, isn't he, is he's going into every aspect of his life reflecting and getting answers to the questions why. Yeah, I call my book an unpacking of Augustine's book. The most important words in there are the quotations from Augustine. And all I do is, is serve them up. Uh, explain them, comment on them. Uh, I'm, I'm like a tour guide. Look at this, look at this, don't miss that. Mm-hmm. Or it's a kind of a festooning. Augustine is a Christmas tree, and I put decorations on it, the decorations that reveal the tree rather than conceal it. Well, And as you said, like a tour guide, I think that's so good because I think we're taking a journey along with Augustine through his life. And isn't that what life is? I think, you, as you said in the book, everything in life has a from a through, and a two. Yep. Where did we come from? Where are we now? And where are we going? Those are the three big questions. You know, the Bible is very different than most other religious literature in that it's fundamentally narrative. Uh, the prophecies and the laws and the sermons are comments on the narrative. It begins in the beginning and it proceeds to the very end. And a lot of, hap- a lot of stuff happens in between. And human life is like that. It's a narrative a story. Hmm. Uh, it it's important, isn't it, when we look at his life? I mean, as you said, as a tour guide looking at his, how, how can we not, Dr. Crave, begin to see those same type of events in our own lives? Uh, there's a paradox here. Augustine is a unique person. We never met anybody quite like him. And yet he's uh, a kind of universal person. Uh, we're all like him. Uh, we all have a head. We all have a heart. Uh, our head is not quite as bright as his, and, and neither is the burning of our heart. But he shows us what we are at, at our depth. As Augustine is looking at the events of his childhood, for example, or his education, he begins to see why sin has entered in. And I, I, I think that's an exercise that for many of us we we don't want to revisit those areas and to, to ask the same question. Well, that's why it's so important that the book is a prayer. He can't lie to God. Very few people lie on their deathbeds when they're facing eternity. 
So that that blinding clarity in the book comes from the fact that he knows where he is and he knows where God is. They're they're together in this. Are we afraid of the answers? Of course, we're terrified. Uh, And the reason we're terrified, I think, is that we don't fully trust God, and therefore we suppress how stupid and wicked we are. Uh, If we understood that God's mercy is not just easy, but, but costly, and yet infinite. If we understood God's, God's infinite passion for us, we would have the confidence to, to lay it all out in his face as Augustine does. Mm. It's wonderful when Augustine looks at himself so honestly. I mean, isn't that, isn't that the key to true humility, as the saints have taught us? Yeah, people think humility is having a low opinion of yourself. It's not. Humility means just standing in the light and letting the light light up whatever is in you. Humility isn't a kind of low self-consciousness, it's unself-consciousness. It's looking outward instead of inward. One of those truths that St. Augustine brings out in the Confessions is that we are very impatient when sin is manifested in others, and yet when those same sins are in us, oh, well, then we're very patient. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, and that's, that's a good proof of original sin. We're all born into the world with this self-centeredness, and we easily see others' faults, and when others point out our faults, we are well, we react very badly. We deny it, even though we know it's true. We see that played out, don't we? Even if, if All you have to do is watch a newscast anymore, whether it be political characters or whoever, and, even though they may be caught in something that is wrong, they will squirm like a worm on a hook, won't they? So they don't oh, have yeah, to admit it. Oh, yeah, because they've bought into the world's oldest profession, invented by the devil in the Garden of Eden. It's called advertising. So they're mm-hmm. just advertising themselves, and they're painting a mask on themselves, and they're saying, look how perfect I am. Uh, and we all know that's a lie. Some know the story of St. Augustine, I mean, he, and his life. And I mean, brief, I mean, he's very clear. He He was somebody who enjoyed everything the culture had to offer, did he not? Yeah, and what the culture of his day, the late, sophisticated, decadent Roman Empire, had to offer is pretty much what our culture has to offer, too. The book is astonishingly contemporary. So he, he tried everything, and nothing worked. He sort of backed into God as the last possible answer. Okay. It's fools that learn by experience, but they at least learn. If, what caused his conversion, Dr. Craved? God. That's the only possible answer. He's very clear on the priority of divine grace because he knows it in his own life. Even after his mind was converted, even after all his questions were answered, and he knew that Christianity was true, he didn't want to become a Christian. His his, his will rebelled. He was proud. Uh, so God gave him extra help, as he did to St. Paul on the, on the road to Damascus. That scene in the garden where... Uh, he's agonizing over the fact that he can't make that leap of faith. And uh, God God did it for him. He does it in different ways to different people. Sometimes he does it in a spectacular and miraculous way. More often he does it in a gentle way. But without divine grace, none of us can do anything. What role would his mother play in all of this? In a sense, the book is about his mother. It ends when his mother dies. And the rest is just reflection uh, on his present state. But he wrote the book many years after his mother died, 
but all the events in his life between his mother's death and his old age are not in the book. So he would give credit to his mother more than to any other human being, even Bishop Ambrose, who answered most of his theological questions for him. There are a lot of interesting characters in this book. Yeah, well, there certainly is. And it also reflects deep down, I mean, as you as you listen, if you're listening with your ear on his heart, you're hearing suffering, aren't you? Yes. Uh, nothing great is accomplished without suffering. And his whole life is a kind of a childbirth uh, on the part of Monica. After the physical childbirth, there's a spiritual childbirth until his conversion. And that's uh, a far greater suffering. We, we don't want to suffer today, do we? Nobody wants to suffer. And to mm-hmm. want to suffer is very, very strange. But to have faith that God knows what he's doing in allowing us the privilege of suffering and uh, uh, the opportunity to offer up our sufferings because they can become one with Christ's sufferings if we're in Christ, that's incredibly powerful. You don't hear that too much nowadays. That's a shame. Yeah, I suppose it, you know, what, I was, what I meant by that is the sense that um, we run from the suffering, and there are so many places to run to, isn't there? Oh, yeah. yeah. Our uh, society provides many, many alternatives. In fact, uh, uh, I think the last paragraph of my book, I say something like they made statues of Augustine in the Middle Ages with a Bible in one hand and a burning heart in the other. If they made statues of us, they'd probably have a smartphone in one hand and a pillow in the other. We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app where you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essif, Deacon James Keating, Father Donald Haggerty, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more. They're all available on the free Discerning Hearts app. Over 3,000 spiritual formation programs and prayers, all available to you with no hidden fees or subscriptions. Did you also know that you can listen to Discerning Hearts programming wherever you download your favorite podcasts, like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, even on Audible, as well as numerous other worldwide podcast streaming platforms. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has a YouTube channel? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts Catholic Podcasts, dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. Show your support for Discerning Hearts by liking and leaving positive reviews on your favorite streaming platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and more. With a collection of insightful podcasts led by renowned Catholic spiritual guides, such as Father Timothy Gallagher, Monsignor John Essef, Dr. Anthony Lillis, and more, Discerning Hearts is your gateway to a deeper understanding of discerning life's mysteries and growing deeper in your relationship with Christ. Your likes and reviews not only affirm the value these podcasts bring to your spiritual journey, but also help others discover the guidance and inspiration they seek. Share your thoughts, spread the word, and be part of a community that's committed to elevating hearts and minds through meaningful conversations. Your feedback fuels our mission to help others climb higher and go deeper in their spiritual growth. Like, review, and let your voice be a beacon of light for fellow seekers on this spiritual journey. We now return to Inside the Pages. 
really in that struggling and that wanting to rebel, there were obstacles that he put forward that I think everyone in some manner does. You mentioned uh, that the problem of evil is number one. Yeah, as an intellectual problem and as a moral problem. The intellectual problem is how can a perfect God allow evil? And the moral problem is evil is a lot of fun, or it seems a lot of fun to us. So uh, we we have to educate not just our mind, but also our will and our heart. And then, of course, there's the problem of just imagining God. I mean, how, how... Which is impossible. Yeah. And we love our imagination because it's easy. It just throws up images, and all we do is sit back and, and look. But thinking hard... Uh, that goes beyond the imagination. And you can't imagine God. He's not in space. If you imagine God in space, he's either everywhere as, like, water is everywhere in the ocean, and then it's divided into parts, and only a little bit of God is here, or else he's outside of space and he's, he's absent. So both of those will not work. He's totally present, and he's present everywhere. You cannot imagine that. Do we have in, inside of us this incredible desire to understand, and yet there it is, we're not always going to be able to understand? Yes, that's life. Uh, God has put into our souls the desire for something that cannot possibly be attained in this life. In fact, two things. We want total understanding, and we want total joy. Mm. And we get only little bits of understanding and little bits of joy. And if we don't have an honest and passionate heart, we, we just settle for that. But if we do have a, a, a mind that's totally honest and a heart that's totally passionate, we'll keep, we'll keep being restless and we'll keep searching. Mm. And that'll bring us beyond the world to God. Our hearts are restless until they rest in exactly. you. Yep. Mm. That restless heart was not designed in Harvard or Hollywood, but in heaven. Mm. Speaking of Hollywood, I mean, I think there sometimes what's held up as morality to accept the unacceptable in some cases. But I think that, as Augustine shows, it's, it's been around, well, since the beginning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's perennial. Uh, the devil always offers alternatives, and uh, he suckers us in uh, with the alternatives. He's, he's a fisherman. And he's got a hook that, uh, that bites, but he camouflages the hook with nice fat worms. And we just look at the worms with our eyes and say, wow, that's beautiful. I'll bite the hook. What we have to do is have the x-ray vision of faith. See through the worm to the hook. I noticed in Escape from Carthage and Monica to Rome, there is a wonderful, very to-the-point outline of discernment, as it were, where you talk about how we can distinguish between certain things. You know, our desires and deeds that are sinful, desires and deeds that are perfect, and desires and deeds that are not sinful, but yet not perfect in faith, hope, and charity. Yeah, because Augustine had so many problems and so much confusion, he had to think his way through to the answers, and that's why the answers are so clear. For instance, when he was struggling with the problem of moral relativism, isn't morality relative to uh, your own feelings and the situation, uh, he eventually came up with the fact that three 
things are necessary to make an act moral. It has to be the right thing, and you have to have the right subjective motive, and it has to be in the right place and time and circumstances. So there is a subjective element to morality, your personal motive, and there is a relative element to morality, namely circumstances. Not everything is right at every time. But there is also that third element that's eternal and unchangeable and absolute and universal, the moral law itself. Can you talk to us about his, what seems to be a mystical experience then? Well, in two different places in the book, he relates what seems to be a mystical experience where his mind just left his body and even left uh, uh, the whole universe and was wrapped up into the contemplation of God. And one of these experiences was with his mother, two saints together having the same mystical experience. And for most mystics, words don't help. For Augustine, who was such a master of words, words did help. Uh, they were like a, a ladder to get him up to the region beyond words. There are beautiful passages in the Confessions. That experience that he had with his mother, but in in the other experience, is for some of us, they may say, well, that was fine for him. He's a saint. That could never happen for me. Oh, it has to. Uh, maybe not in the full, deep, profound sense that it did to him, but if if you don't have what's essentially a mystical experience, namely go beyond yourself, at least think about God with your mind, and at least trust God with your faith, and hope in God with your heart. Uh, well, that's in one sense mystical, because you're going beyond yourself, you're, you're leaving your own sins behind, uh, and you're leaving your self-consciousness behind, and you're putting yourself in the presence of God, and you're saying, your will be done, not mine. You know, that basic religious requirement is, in a sense, mystical. Mm. It's just a matter of degree. The great saints have, have a, a deeper version of it. His awareness of God's presence, I mean, it, just even the experience that he would have, it formed such an incredible relationship. I mean, it, it's manifested in this, this conversation, in, in this dialogue, in the confessions. And when we come to that awareness, he really... It, I go, I'm going back to suffering again, but he really suffers when he sees what he rejected in those early years. Well, he's having something like a purgatory on earth. St. Uh, Catherine of Genoa has dialogues on purgatory, and she says, paradoxically, that the suffering in purgatory is greater than anything on earth because you see how awful your sins are and how harmful they are. But the joy is also greater than any joy on earth because God is right there with you holding your hand and showing it to you. You're guaranteed heaven. And you find those two things in Augustine. A, a deep consciousness of sin and hatred of sin. And yet at the same time uh, uh, a sense of the presence of God and, and, and the light. The, the darkness is deeper and the light is deeper. Some Some other Christian Thinkers like Dostoevsky and, and Pascal and Kierkegaard also have those those two things that seem opposite, but they're stronger in these thinkers than they are in us. Both the depth and the height, both the darkness and the light. This embrace of relationship that Augustine does, and it means so beautifully in the Confessions, 
it does bear an unbelievable fruit of love, doesn't it? It always does. It always does. Uh, that's part of honesty. That's that's the standing in the light. He's he's totally in love with the light, and totally in love with with God, who is love. Those are his two absolutes. And once you devote yourself completely to those two absolutes, things happen. Fruits grow that couldn't grow before. This is such a compelling story, and even for today, I mean, it should be in people's hands. Augustine. If, He's a guy's guy, isn't he? Well, he's he's every man, not just for guys, but for girls. Mm-hmm. The issue is not gender; the issue is human nature. But yes, Augustine is somebody that everybody can relate to. And what my book tries to do is what most of my books, I think, try to do. I'm not a scholar; I don't work on that that high level of careful scholarship where. Uh, you're talking to other scholars and you're uh, adding to the sum total of human knowledge. And I don't work just on the popular level. Uh, I like to call it the Oprah level. I, mm-hmm. I tried to connect those two things. I tried to bring the great saints and philosophers down to ordinary people's levels or bring ordinary people up to their level, build bridges. Mm. You know, here's a, a, another paradox, or, or as it were, that in the lives of so many of these saints, I mean, as you said, it, the confessions end with the death, for the most part, of his mother, Monica. We don't know the rest of the story except for what history shows us. And and for St. Augustine, like many, it, it seems for him as though everything he had done up to that point, it, it was collapsing and there was almost failure around it. Yeah, that's uh, a theme, I think, in every life. Uh before every resurrection, there has to be a death. And, uh, you know, what, what is the cliche? The night is the darkest right before the dawn. That's what makes life so dramatic. Augustine almost gave up, uh, and that's when God rescued him. Shows the value of, of all those souls. And I, I think there was, a, again, there's so many gems in your book, I Burned for Your Peace, Augustine's Confessions Unpacked, the one on the traumatic death. As you help us as that tour guide to see in this all these wonderful gems in the book that even one small person can leave such a, a hole in the universe. Somebody that you love very deeply dies, it's, it always seems as if a piece of you has died. Because in a sense, that's true. Two close friends are, are like two eyes side by side looking at the, the same things. And one of those, one of those eyes goes out. Well, your eye is still there, but the whole world looks flat. It's one-dimensional now instead of two-dimensional. It changes everything. And yet, that's the reason why hope is such a, a treasured virtue, isn't it? Yeah, and if at the heart of virtue is love of neighbor and the communion of saints, that means that in heaven we'll have all those eyes restored and we'll be able to be into other people so well that we see everything else from their point of view as well as ours. Be an incredible richness, and that's just again part of the fruitfulness of, of walking that journey with Saint Augustine, isn't it? Yep, as many of the saints say, uh, God cannot be outdone in generosity. Mm-hmm. There's always more rather than less than you can desire or imagine. 
In fact, the best description of the next life, I think, is the one in the New Testament. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things God has prepared for those who love him. Beautiful. Uh, Dr. Kraft, I wish we had more time, but any final thoughts? Uh, Buy the book, meet Augustine, make a new friend, it will change your life. Amen. What great advice. Dr. Peter Kraft, thank you so very much. You're very welcome. God bless you. With Dr. Peter Kraft, we've gone inside the pages of I Burn for Your Peace, Augustine's Confessions Unpacked. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to Ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with thousands of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Inside the Pages, Insights from Today's Most Compelling Authors.